I don't want to overfunction because when I overfunction, it actually robs people of their ability to function well. And so I try to be aware of my place in that system. And if I notice like, oh, wait, these people aren't doing this thing or whatever, it's really a reflection on myself and how I'm leading. We are looking for leadership. We're living through this time of deep uncertainty, uncertainty about our health, about our culture, about our businesses, uncertainty about our families, our communities, and I think even uncertainty about our relationships with ourselves. We're looking for leadership because there's a lot to be wary of. And at the same time, there is a lot of opportunity too. We're looking for leadership because where there is a leader, there are other followers we can gather with. We're looking for leadership because we're called on every day to lead more and more ourselves. I'm Tara McMullen, and you're listening to What Works, the show that digs deep into what's really working to run and grow a small business today, from how we market and manage to how we prime our mindsets for success. Now, if you're a leader, and I know you are, you're being called to lead in a new way right now. And that leadership can be humbling, scary, and exhausting. And your leadership is also an opportunity to figure out what your best role is, how you contribute the highest value, how you work best with others, what your vision of the future is. The call to leadership in this moment is a call to growth and clarity, which shouldn't be confused with a call to certainty. I want to dig into what leading a team or community through a crisis can look like. And I could think of no one better to talk about this with than my friend, Sarah Avenir. Sarah Avenir, who you might know better as Sarah J. Bray, recently took the helm as the CEO of And Yet, a digital development and strategy agency. Sarah is an incredibly thoughtful leader, and I knew her approach on both leading herself and her team through this time would be an insightful look at embracing uncertainty. Sarah and I chat about how she became CEO of And Yet, how she considers herself a naturally fearful person, and why a key part of her leadership is knowing others have her back. We also talk about how she structures her time, team, and approach to her work so she can focus on her own role and let other people do their jobs. Now, let's find out what works for Sarah Avenir. Sarah Avenir, welcome to What Works. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me. It's so good to talk to you. Yes, you as well. And I could think of no one better to dive into this topic of choosing uncertainty than you. <laughs> I think you are a master. Bad. Well, yeah, I suppose that, that could sound like a backhanded compliment, but I really do mean it very sincerely. And, uh, you know, you're just, you are such a thoughtful person and you have taken some really interesting and thoughtful risks over the last 10 years or so that I have known you. And I'm really stoked to hear more of the story and hear more of your thought process and just talk through that with you. So before we get into some of the more recent things that I I really want to dig into, I think that we should go back a little bit uh, because you've been on the show before. And in that episode, we talked about how you decided to move away from your own business and into um, working with And Yet. And we'll get into what that journey looks like today because that's even different than what we talked about it uh, then. But I want you to take us back to that initial decision, moving out of 
your own business and moving into someone else's business and kind of taking your entrepreneurial spirit that way. Um, So walk us through how you made that decision and kind of what was going on in your head as you weighed the different options. Yeah, absolutely. When I think about the uncertainty that I was experiencing around that time, it was really about my identity because I had been an entrepreneur for so long and I really, um, you know, I just never thought of myself as someone who could be an employee. And I remember um, visiting Andiat for the first time and I was invited there um, along with um uh, Nick DeSabado, who is a designer, we were invited to help facilitate a summit to um, brainstorm ideas for this product that they developed um, that was actually like a very Slack-like before Slack was everywhere. And um, and so, so yeah, I had, I had this um, understanding of who the people on the team were. And it's it's kind of funny because uh, I mentioned to you this before we started talking about how the internet is kind of like an equalizer. Like everybody just sort of seems, uh, you know, kind of on the same level. And then uh, when I went there uh, and walked into their beautiful offices and, you know, it, it was just absolutely gorgeous. And I, I just felt uh, a bit intimidated by that, um, honestly. Uh, but the the part of it that that grabbed me were the, the people there, and um, so I had no problem identifying with the people. But in terms of the role, um, I just didn't know how that was going to work. And um, in fact, once I joined the team, we had our first team week where, you know, I was still living in Virginia at the time. Uh, Tri-Cities, uh, Tri- Washington is where their office was. And uh, so I, I flew out there. People came from all over the world and was sitting in this session where they're talking about salary and their approach and kind of things that they're grappling with to try to um, have equity across the team and have more visibility on the different dynamics that go into deciding a person's salary. And I raised my hand and I can't even believe that I asked this, but I was like, so is the salary like all we can make? <laughs> like, can we, is there a way to make more than that? Because uh, the other part of it that was uncertain for me was um, like the freedom that you have as an entrepreneur mm-hmm. to be able to, if I want to do this thing, I can make this amount of money and go do that thing. And so while some people find um, stability and and certainty in having a regular salary, for me, it was kind of like, oh, I don't know about this. <laughs> like, I feel a little trapped. <laughs> and uh, yeah. to everybody else in the room, I'm sure they were like, are you not making enough? Like, what is your problem? Um, but it really was about <laughs> that flexibility for me. Yeah. Can you say more about the uncertainty around your identity? Because I think this is something that so many people go through. In fact, I'm seeing it with our some of our members and like mastermind participants right now where they're asking some really big questions about their businesses and how they might want to pivot post COVID and, you know, what new opportunities they see, how they want to show up in the world differently to have a greater social justice impact. 
And there's a lot of identity tied up in who they have been in their businesses versus who they could be in their businesses. So can you kind of speak to, yeah, maybe just speak to that? Yeah. Um, Well, I, I feel like that question for me is very, a very fresh one. I, um, because I've been grappling with the same thing too. And, and Mm -hmm. it's so strange because after that initial kind of shakeup of the snow globe of everything, um, you know, there's a couple of decisions that you can make. uh, And one of them is um, to kind of freeze up and kind of try to hold on to everything that you have and try to figure it out and strategize how to keep your things safe. And then the other is to say, well, I never really had much control over this anyway, I guess. So might as well just be who I am and allow this to, um, to help me take more risks. And I think that for me, I am naturally, um, I don't know. I don't know if I really know myself that well, but I do a lot of self-reflection and I am a naturally fearful person, but I'm also naturally pushing myself against that fear and doing the thing that I'm, I'm scared of. And so I, you know, in both situations back then when I joined and yet, and I was fearful around that identity piece Um, And some of those fears, honestly, were real. And I'm still working through, (laughs) I'm still working through some of the things that I was afraid of. Um, And, and now where the fears are more around um, the responsibility and, uh, you know, for different people and, and their livelihoods and, um, and about who, you know, our identity as a company, um, I, I always freak out, <laughs> but then eventually decide I'm going to push myself to take the step that is the most, uh, has the most opportunity for growth. Mm, I love that. Um, well, speaking of growth, you're now the CEO of And Yet. <laughs> yeah. How did that happen? <laughs> well, um, it's wild. I, we've been trying to figure out And Yet for forever because we've just been, we've been a software company. We have a really amazing design team. I came in as a strategist. So trying to like figure out how do we fold in strategy to all of this. Um, we're also really anti-establishment kind of people. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's really hard for us to say, um, to distill everything into one message that is unified, that feels true. Um, because we, uh, I love Lynn Fisher, one of the, um, designers on our team who she gives amazing talks, but she, she gave one that, um, she talked about like, I will be good at all the things. Thank you. And she has this like Jack of all trades sticker, um, in her, uh, I think it's an Etsy shop. Anyway, um, that is amazing. It's on my laptop. I would turn around my laptop to show you, but I'm talking to you on it right now. So I can't. It's probably yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'll, I will find it. Don't worry. And I will buy it. It is. It's amazing. Um, but taking all of these individuals and people who really care a lot about um, being genuine and not, you know, trying to, I don't know. It's like, 
profit is almost like a hard thing for us to grapple with because um, it feels like the things that you you should be doing to to make a profit or to to have this certain path out in front of you are the things that stifle creativity and and that's not always true but it's sort of that um, resistance that we push up against as a team but I knew that in order to in order to, I mean, at a very basic level, fix our pipeline issues, honestly, because we'd always been dealing with word of mouth and, um, which is great. I say dealing with, I mean, it's, it's wonderful to have word of mouth, um, opportunities, but to rely on them is another story. It's scary, especially Mm -hmm. when you have a big payroll and a lot of expenses and overhead, and you're trying to figure out, what six months going to look like. If you're relying on word of mouth, it's just not a very comfortable <laughs> way, to, way to live. And, and yet has experienced that. We've had rounds of layoffs. I was laid off once. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a thing. Um, so in order to have that consistent pipeline, we needed to be able to say, we are, uh, this is who we are speaking to. This is where we can take you and have a clear invitation to come with us on that uh, path. And, um, and that's, that's the core of what I've been trying to figure out is what is that path for and yet what, how do we do that in a way that um, is true to all the different people on our team and, and what we care about, um, which at a higher level, we care about treating people well and um, so it's like, what is the intersection between sort of these softer things that are who we are and the the business value that our clients are hiring us for? So it's been a, a fun and interesting road figuring that out. Yeah. Yeah. So this is very you that you answered a question about your story about transitioning into the CEO role by talking about solving the strategic problems of the company. <laughs> Yeah, which is super, which is super helpful, and I yeah. really appreciate those things. And also, I really want to know the story behind you becoming CEO as well. <laughs> um, okay, well, uh, I believed that. Well, we went to a David Baker seminar actually okay. um, on advanced positioning and lead generation. And um, David Baker, he's so smart and great. But when I went there. I um, is in this room with a bunch of people. And I just going back to that identity piece, I just kind of assume that um, people who have like established companies have have a different language. They know different secrets than Mm -hmm. I did as an entrepreneur. And as I was hearing him speak to these established companies about advanced positioning and lead generation, I was like, wait a minute, this is like taglines and getting on podcasts. That's what this is. <laughs> and I just kind of like, I was, I had a moment where I was just like, oh my gosh, I've been thinking way too hard about this. Like I know how to do this and I need to just integrate who I am and what I know into the vision of this company. And as I started to do that, our, um, our entire company, our messaging and everything um, started to meld into my vision. And, um, and it made sense for me to take on that role and be directly responsible for this vision that the company was already moving toward and around. Um, so that is 
that's what happened. Gotcha. And how did that feel? Bizarre because it happened in a short time period. Like it was like, I wasn't thinking about, you know, being CEO of And Yet. Um, And then uh, we started making these decisions. We actually consulted with David Baker on um, our Mm. positioning and learned a lot there. And, um, and it was, it was just an interesting thing. My partner is uh, the founder of And Yet, and he was CEO at the time. And um, he was also thinking about, well, if you're taking the company in this direction, you know, what, what am I doing next? And um, Mm -hmm. really wanted to focus on local publishing in our community. Um, And so that was also part of it. It was like, well, Andyad is going this way. Um, The then CEO is going this way. And where is the conversions and all of that? So, yeah. Fascinating. That was like a year ago. Okay. All (laughs) right. Amazing. Well, yeah. This last year has been a wild one, specifically the last few months. So I want to kind of zoom in on your leadership over these last few months because I just from what I've seen, which is very little, but still I I can see how you're you have such a humane way of, and I think and yet as a company also has such a humane way of approaching technology, community building, uh, support. And so I really want to hear about how you've approached leading your company through what has been some of the most wild and uncertain times I've certainly ever lived through. And I think, you know, for most people, the same. Yeah, absolutely. Um, It really has been. It's been, um, it was very scary. I mean, I'm sure you can relate to that in the beginning. It was so scary just wondering what's going to happen. And I mean, we're still, we still don't know what's going to happen, but I think we're Mm -hmm. kind of getting used to not knowing. And um, um, we were going to actually, there was a moment uh, a few weeks into it where one, up until this one day, I had believed that we were going to be able to fill our revenue gap, um, even though all of this was happening. We had like a $35,000 a month gap in what we were um, committed to on, in our contracts and what we needed to um, generate. And mm-hmm. I, I believe that wasn't going to be a problem, wasn't going to be a problem, wasn't going to be a problem. And then there was just a day that it, like... I don't know if it's just that I had processed all of this to the time that I could actually go, okay, yeah, I don't believe that anymore. And um, we need to do something about that. And so um, we all uh, met as a team and we were going to move to a four-day work week um, just to preserve our runway. Um, Because, yeah, if if you take that $35,000, it pretty quickly adds up to we're at zero really fast. And we've had that happen before. Um, so we did not want to be there. Um, but we never actually ended up having to implement it because the week that we were going to start doing that, we heard about the, um, the stimulus stuff that was going mm-hmm. through and got some more details about that. And so we wanted to wait as long as we possibly could to implement those things because they knew that we knew it would be really impactful to people on the team. Um, so we waited 
and um, our our CFO. I am so grateful to him. I feel like we are incredibly lucky just because he's maintained a really solid relationship with our bank. And he, um, he had the paperwork done before they were ready to accept it. And so because of that, even though it ended up being like three or four weeks of waiting, um, we mm-hmm. ended up never having to actually implement that. Um, but once that like scare was over, I think the, um, the thing that it freed us up, it was really that realization of like, wow, we really don't have as much control over we think we over things that we think we do. And we've been ever since we've repositioned last year, we've kind of been like looking at the market and trying to see what are people going to respond to? um, How can we kind of fit what we really care about into what we can get paid to do and sort of sort of melding that together and um, and that was just it was awkward. It was just awkward feeling, and uh, it didn't. Yeah, it didn't quite um, produce as much fruit as we wanted it to. Um, but we we were seeing signs that we're moving in the right direction, and um, I think that this whole thing just made us realize like they're really there's not, they're not two separate things. Like the thing that is really valuable to people and the thing that we're really good at are not two separate things that we somehow have to like put together. They're the same thing. And, um, we've just gotten really clear that, um, what we're good at is growth. We're good at people first growth and that what we want to create is an educational resource that addresses specific issues about growth in a people first way, um, which is pretty, it, it's so similar to where we started in our, um, our repositioning, but like we actually own it now. You know what I mean? It's like, mm-hmm. it's very integrated into who we are and our understanding of it. And we have words around it and we have a growth team that is just phenomenal, which we did not have before this fall. Um, so we're, Lots of things happening under the surface, but we are being a little more public about it every day, and that feels really good. You'll find out more about Sarah's approach to leading her team in just a minute. But first, a word from our What Works partners. What Works is brought to you by Mighty Networks. When things are always changing, it's hard to know what your customers or clients need for support. Their questions or priorities might change from week to week. So how do you create solutions that meet them where they're at and adapt to their changing needs? Well, the best way I've found to embrace uncertainty when it comes to supporting the business owners I work with is by giving them an easy way to ask the questions that are on their minds. We've built a community that lets them put their cards on the table and get the support, ideas, or feedback they need right now, no matter how quickly their goals might change. We built that community on Mighty Networks. Mighty Networks makes it easy to create a responsive, member-driven support community that also hosts your online courses or group coaching programs. It's a flexible, adaptable system for helping your customers get what they need, even if their needs are constantly changing. Plus, Mighty Networks helps your members connect and support each other too. It's the perfect way to build a flexible, adaptable support system 
system for uncertain times. See for yourself by starting your own Mighty Network today. Go to MightyNetworks.com. That's MightyNetworks.com. What Works is also brought to you by The Commitment Blueprint. Now, a lot has changed this year and the future is still uncertain. How has your business adapted? If you're like many business owners I know, you've had to adjust or even scrap the plans you made for your business back in January or December. Right now, you might just be taking each day as it comes. But what if you could create a flexible plan that helps you focus even when things are weird? If you had that kind of plan, could you spot new opportunities? Could you take action on what's most important to you? Could you help your business move forward instead of treading water? Yes. And the Commitment Blueprint can help you create exactly that sort of plan. The Commitment Blueprint is a flexible and highly effective system for finding your focus, choosing your next steps, and planning for the future. The Commitment Blueprint approaches goal setting and planning differently so you can thrive. You'll focus on commitments instead of goals that flex to match the moment and guide you when things get weird because they almost always do. You'll create plans that have structure and choice so you have both stability and flexibility. And you'll tap into vision-driven personal accountability so that your day-to-day work is tied to what you want to create and experience. If you're ready to tackle the rest of 2020 with a fresh perspective and new flexible plan for your business, join me for this four-part live workshop July 20th through 24th. Together, we'll set your commitments, craft your strategic priorities, plan your projects, and create a personal accountability system for getting the work done. Registration is limited and enrollment closes on Thursday, July 16th. So don't wait. Go to explorewhatworks.com slash commitment to find out more. That's explorewhatworks.com slash commitment. I'm curious about your leadership in that kind of a scenario where you're sort of, I mean, you said you're owning this, this new kind of new positioning and where it's taking you. But I think there's also a component of like, owning that you don't quite know yet, right? Until you can get to that point where you say, Oh, I've had this insight, I've had uh, this strategic insight, I've had this aha moment, and the team can buy in and we can be like, yeah, we're all on the same page. I'm guessing, uh, you know, my the scale at which I do it is much smaller than the scale at what you're doing it. But what I feel in that kind of a scenario is having to lead through the uncertainty, having to lead through saying, I don't know what this looks like. I don't know what the overlap is yet. How do you approach that in terms of working with your team, of communicating even with clients so that they feel taken care of, so that they feel like someone's looking out for them, Yeah, uh, but that they also feel part of the process of figuring it out? Totally. Um, There's this great quote um, by Parker Palmer in Let Your Life Speak. He says, And this is something that when I took on the CEO role, I was so nervous because as an entrepreneur and as a, when you're doing things on your own, you feel like you personally have responsibility for everything. And so I'm feeling like I personally have responsibility for all of this. And while that's true in some ways, um, the, the quote that I just love is he says, um, community is trusting that someone else will be there. 
And mm. for me, leadership has been about trusting the rest of my team in what they know and their gifts and their execution and knowing my piece of it. My piece is to hold the vision. That is my piece. And I have incredible um, teammates. We um, started doing a, a leadership lunch every week, which has been a really, really good practice for me in sharing um, the the future of what I see every week and keeping them um, on, you know, in the same wavelength where I'm going so that they don't feel like, Oh, Sarah's like way over here. We have no idea. <laughs> we have no idea where she is. Cause I'm, uh, one of my friends described me as a deep introvert and it's true. It is so true. And it's so ironic because so much of my work is around gathering people and <laughs> yeah. Same. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It is. This is why we get along so well. I think so. I think so. And I've just learned to accept that. It's like, this isn't, yeah, this is, this makes sense that I would be focused on community because it is a thing that I deeply believe in and also have trouble actually, um, actually being present um, and also getting what I need as a person who needs a lot of time to process and think through things. So um, yeah, leadership has definitely been learning to trust those folks. Um, definitely in the beginning of our, um, my COO, Eric and I were totally trying to figure out like, how does this even work? Because the um, Adam who was CEO before and I totally different ways of working and sort of my like kind of quiet leadership <laughs> style um, would kind of freak him out because he's like, okay, uh, what are we doing? What should I be doing? <laughs> you know, like it, what does this mean? Um, but the amazing thing is that our strengths complement each other so well because mm. he, uh, and the way that we think about it is he's really good at focusing on the present and keeping all of that rolling. And that helps me to be able to focus on the future. Um, and the same is true of our, um, our growth team lead, uh, Lauren, she's amazing at, um, in, in a different way, it's true. She is uh, thinking strategically and how all of this stuff is is going to work in a very uh, tangible form, which allows me to be free to kind of ramble mm -hmm. <laughs> about, you know, this is what I see. This is the possibility. And she's like, okay, great what does that look like? What's our timeline? <laughs> you know, who needs to be on this? Um, so a lot of things that are, are weaknesses in me, I um, totally, you know, our um, design and dev team lead, she is such an amazing project manager. And so I can just, I can just trust that if there's this project that we're needing to scope or, or whatever, I can be in the introduction and all of that stuff, but she's got that handled. Um, and our, um, chief creative officer, Lynn is amazing at like the, 
the thing that I was really worried about when I became CEO was like ruining the culture of and yet, because it's mm. such a great, it's such a great culture. And, um, Adam's, uh, personality is really like to dive in deep with, um, people and being really honest and vulnerable, like on an individual level with every single person. And I am more like, I need to, uh, back away a little bit, um, or that can be too much. Um, but Lynn, like she's got that both like internally and outside of our team, which is just amazing. So just being able to trust those folks and like, it is not, it is not dependent on me. I really can just lead by letting them lead and by collaborating together. Yeah. I want to, back up just a little bit and ask a very selfish question, which is around <laughs> being a deep introvert and needing more time to process, like needing time to process that is quiet yeah. time. I'm, I'm assuming when you say process, you are an internal processor. Like yes. I am, yes. I need, like I was processing all sorts of things this week and yeah. I blocked out time on my schedule and my team knew I don't have answers until I can sit with this for hours. Yeah. Um, yeah. How have you carved out that time and space for yourself, especially when so much is up in the air? Yeah. Well, one thing is by just like a really practical thing is by having um, project days and collaboration days. And so mm. on project days, I don't talk to anybody. And on collaboration days, that's when I save like, okay, you need feedback, you need a meeting, you need all of this. So Tuesdays and Thursdays are those collaboration days. And those days are also days that I can think about um, uh, sharing more with a, a wider community. For me right now, though, wider community looks like a very small group of people. Um, and And that's okay. That's just where I'm at right now in the phase of work that I'm doing. Um, but, uh, I, I still need those days. And even though those days stress me out, sometimes I keep reminding myself, uh, they give me the gift of the other days <laughs> where I really can just the whole day, I don't have any meetings at all. And I really mm -hmm. love that. Um, yeah. And then just, I rely on my notebook a lot and mm. I, just write, 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 write until I can figure out what it is that I need to figure out. Um, but I can get a little obsessive about that though. So <laughs> kind of like maybe balance the time I spend writing and processing that way um, with doing stuff. But yeah. Yeah. I can, I can relate to that for sure. <laughs> um, one more question, especially around the uncertainty of the last few months what have you, how have you managed? I, I, the, I think it's, it's relating again to the people leadership piece. I yeah. think as leaders, we are the focal points of other people's anxiety and stress quite often. Yeah. And it sounds like even though you have a team of people who are helping with that, you're still, you're the chief executive, right? right? And so I assume that a lot of that kind of trickles up uh, to you. How have you 
helped put your team at ease? How have you kept them in the loop? What has that looked like for you over the last few months? Sure. Um, well, I, again, depend on my leadership team to surface a lot of those things to me because mm. a lot of them I won't notice. And I'm really focused on something and I'm not noticing like, hey, we need to say something about this right now. Um, yeah. Or, hey, there's been a lot of questions about this stuff. Um, I think it's time for you to address this. And I mean, I I unapologetically depend on them for that because I know that I'm not going to notice all of those things. Um, we have an announcements channel, just practical stuff um, mm-hmm. where um, we'll, we'll post different things and people know that every single thing that's company related is in that one place. Um, that's timely. Um, and we have our, um, monthly all hands where we're all sharing about the projects that we're working on. And I'm talking about the future and what the future looks like, which is my favorite thing to do. (laughs) Um, (laughs) so, um, it, it is really um, being proactive, but the only way that I can do that is depending on other people to help me to see what I need to be seeing. Yeah. Well, and it, that probably takes a layer of stress off of you too, yes. because the, the problem with dealing with other people's stress is it creates a lot of stress for the leader as well. Yeah. And even if you're gifted at it and you want to be there for people, the reality is that it is very draining. And yep. so I imagine that having people you can depend on to say, don't, don't worry about keeping track of all of it. I'm going to tell you when something needs to be said, it's like, that creates capacity. Yeah. It's amazing. And I, you know, the thing that I really try to work on is to be anti, uh, over-functioning. Um, I don't want to over-function because when I over-function, it actually, um, robs people of their ability to function well. And so I try to be aware of my place in that system. And if I, um, if I, if I notice like, oh, wait, these people aren't doing this thing or whatever, I it's really a reflection on myself and how I'm leading. Um, am I like grabbing things from them when <laughs> I've given it to them and I'm like taking it back? Um, probably. That's probably yes. it because I work with really smart people and um, they are absolutely amazing. So over-functioning is something that I really try to be aware of. And the other thing is, um, I had a minister friend of mine who, um, I was going through a really tough time. There was somebody who was, um, you know, how social media is anyway, somebody had an agenda and, um, I was just like, I don't know. I don't know what to do about this. Like if I respond to this, it's kind of like throws fuel in the fire. If I don't, it looks like I'm just weak or like, not addressing this. Like, I don't know what to do. And she said, um, well, the thing that always helps me is to understand the power of a non-anxious presence. And so Mm -hmm. to me as a leader, I am trying to invest in my ability to be a non-anxious presence so that the system can regulate itself. And I find that when I can do that, there's less anxiety everywhere else. Um, so again, it's like 
allows me to really prioritize the introvert time and to validate that as an important thing. Um, cause I want to be that, I want to be able to be that for my team. Yeah, absolutely. That's incredibly powerful. Um, let's mm-hmm. shift gears a little bit. I was digging back through some of your writing, and I noticed that uh, back in January of last year, you wrote about the abbot, the, the old adage, uh, to leap and the net will appear. Yeah. And specifically, you said that you don't buy it, that yeah. you are a net builder. Can you tell <laughs> me about a net that you've built recently and how that process uh, was preparing you to choose uncertainty? Absolutely. Well, I feel like I may have been talking around this a lot, but um, it's the the uh, runway is the mm. the net for us right now. And the way that I think about runway is like all I want is the number. Just tell me the date. Like tell me the date we're at zero, and um, I want to push that date out to six months. That's my goal. If the date is out to six months, then however farther it is past that, then I can start thinking about investing in our future. But if it's not at the six month mark, I'm thinking more about, okay, um, we need to kind of solve this problem. And I mean, that is very simplistic. Um, our CFO and COO both kind of are like, really, that's the only number you want. Like, I think you should be looking at other indicators. And they help help me with that if they're like, well, I really think you need to be paying attention to the specific revenue gap that we have right now, even if our runway is out here. And that's totally valid. But the main number that I'm concerned about is that. And um, for most of Andy's history, we haven't really known two to three months out. Um, it's been really difficult to, to do that because um, when a client wants something done, like as, a, as when I was working on my own, I would have a waiting list, right? I would be like, I can't mm-hmm. do this work until September. And that was actually really beneficial to my business because people knew uh, I need to take some action or I'm not gonna be able to work with this person until this time. But at, and yet it, it's different. And I, I don't know if it's because of the companies that we're working with, but if, if we are, um, if we can't do something, they'll hire somebody else. Right. And so mm-hmm. it's like having to, we, we've never really had that ability to, um, plan our calendar out really long-term unless we take a really long-term contract, um, which, happen sometimes, but then sometimes those get canceled abruptly and you're just like, okay, what do we do now? Um, so anyway, yeah, that's the, the main net that I'm looking at is, is that I want that six months. Yeah. Yeah. I feel that. All right. Um, let's go a little bit bigger picture as we start to wrap up here. Um, you are a strategist through and through. That's how I found you. That's how I know you. Um, and it seems to me that part of setting strategy, crafting strategy is accepting uncertainty and at the same time, taking your best guess of what will work anyway, what the future has to hold. Like the only way you can hold a future vision is if you're also willing to accept the uncertainty of it, right? Yeah. Um, how do you see the relationship between setting strategy and choosing uncertainty? Well, it's very interesting because I feel like I have to constantly be zooming in and out of those things. Um, mm-hmm. 
it's like I, I get the big picture vision and then I have to go in and and work on aligning our objectives and our key results with that. We've been doing OKRs for about a year as our, our form of um, goal setting. Um, and that has, has worked really well. But like in terms of practicality, it's like you've got this vision and then there's how do you actually execute that and see how far you've come. And uh, so the vision part is easier for me. Um, the, the certainty part is actually harder, <laughs> you know, when I'm actually like setting those specific, um, specific goals and um, saying, all right, this is what we're trying to do this quarter. Um, so yeah, I think for me, uncertainty is just kind of like comfort with uncertainty is just kind of baked into who I am. And I, mm-hmm. I don't really understand that. Um, I, it is kind of a gift that that is true, even as I deal with a lot of anxiety around it. But um, it's just a weird thing, I think. Well, I appreciate you sharing that, though, because I think a lot of people might mistake anxiety for needing to have certainty. And so the fact that you have awareness that you can be, that you have a gift with uncertainty and that you can feel anxiety (laughs) about it or in general, I think it's, is a really refreshing way to talk about that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it feels good. We're all so weird (laughs) and uh, being able to say I'm this and I'm this over here. Um, it's pretty freeing. Yes, absolutely. Uh, Sarah, what's something you're really excited about right now? Oh my gosh. Um, well, I'm reading. <laughs> I'm, I'm excited about seeing. This is a weird thing. I, have you ever read um, Annie Dillard's Pilgrim at Tinker Creek? I Yes, in college. <laughs> it is. For religion class. <laughs> oh, man. Well, she it just, it's like her living at this creek and just describing everything about the creek. She describes the frogs and like everything that she sees. Muskrats. I've learned a lot about muskrats. <laughs> um, <laughs> but the, I mean, her writing is beautiful and just the way I, I really, man, if I, like my dream would be to be able to write like literary nonfiction, like Annie Dillard. But anyway, uh, she, uh, the way that she just notices things. And I've been thinking about that with um, drawing, like maybe I'll use Mm. drawing to start noticing things. Um, Also uh, Myra Coleman, the illustrator, she wrote a book actually that's perfect for this episode called the principles of uncertainty. It is amazing. It's just, it's really her noticing so many things about the world that are beautiful and yet completely uh, uncertain and and that kind of anxiety that we have to live with all the time it's just absolutely beautiful but i think that one way of dealing with that anxiety about everything is to be able to take one small thing and to appreciate how incredible that is and so um, lately I've been getting into Instagram stories, which is a weird thing to, and the reason is because I've been like 
thinking to myself for the past five years as people are doing these things, like, what is the point of these? And then mm-hmm. I was reading up about it and I was just like, oh, I'm just going to try one. And I just I made one and I was really excited. And then that day, like as I'm thinking about noticing, we're like driving up next to this car that has this dog that's just like sitting out the window smiling. He has like the best grin on his face. And I had to draw that. I spent like two hours drawing this thing and making an Instagram story about it. But um, anyway, I just feel like those those moments um, are so such a gift and help us to be able to be okay, even when everything around us is terrible. Um, Somebody recommended uh, a book called The Zen of Seeing, which I haven't read yet, but is the next Mm -hmm. thing that I'm really excited to read um, as sort of contemplating looking at something as sort of expanding your perspective. So that is something I'm really excited about. Well, I'm excited to check those wrecks out and uh, <laughs> dive into those books. Um, yeah, I, I loved The Pilgrim at Tinker Creek. I had no idea what I was getting myself into when I read it. It was just on the syllabus. It was just a thing that we had to read. Um, and then I was like, oh, this is unlike anything that I have ever come across before in my life. I mean, yeah. I was very young, but still. Yeah, it's incredible. <laughs> yeah, awesome. Well, Sarah, thank you so much for sharing your perspective on uncertainty and your journey and um, just your whole thought process behind so much of this. I know it's going to be really valuable for people. So thank you. Thank you, Tara. I really appreciate it. I love everything you do. So I'm really grateful to be talking to you today. Thanks. Now, one thing that I noticed in this conversation was how much Sarah is focused on understanding her own role as a leader. Leadership is more than telling people what to do, and it's certainly more than being the one who does hashtag all the things. Sarah is focused on filling her role as CEO and leader without stepping on other people's responsibilities. That is giving her the space she needs to maintain her mental health, her creativity, and her capacity for leadership, even amidst uncertainty. That's certainly something I'll be thinking about for quite a while. Find out more about Sarah Avenir at sarahavenir.com. Discover more about And Yet at andyet.com and check out Sarah's book, Gather the People. What Works is produced by Yellow House Media. Our production coordinator is Sean McMullen. This episode was edited by Marty Seafeld. Our production assistant is Kristen Runbeck. Find over 280 more episodes of What Works and sign up for our free weekly newsletter on building a stronger business at explorewhatworks.com.